بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم وصلى الله على سيدنا محمد وعلى آله وصحبه وسلم How is it that religious people, that believers, that people of faith say that God is all good and God is all powerful but so many nightmares happen in the world and in our lives and a lot of them are done by human beings but a lot of them aren't I mean, there are tsunamis and floods and forest fires and rain, hail, snow, earthquakes, all kind of crazy things that happen. And a lot of people die in these events. And, and there's a lot of suffering. There are children that die of diseases and things like that. And how is it that we see the Palestinians in this moment having such deep faith and resolve, even though such nightmares are happening in their lives? You see mothers carrying their dead children, and you see uh, fathers carrying their dead children, and, and people, this uh, journalist whose family was killed in the bombings, this uh, incredible journalist who led the funeral prayer uh, of his family and then went right back to doing his job. And you see so many of the Palestinians and Muslims in general that have a phrase they say, Hasbun Allahu wa ni'am al-wakil. If you watch these videos, you'll see so many people saying that entire phrase, Hasbun Allahu wa ni'am al-wakil, or just saying, Hasbi Allah. And that phrase means, Hisab means an accounting. Uh, so, like if you're asking for your bill uh, with your, uh, after eating or something like that, you say, Hisab, you know, Hasbun Allahu. Hasbun Allah or Hasbi Allah means that Allah, God, has taken complete account of every single thing. God has already accounted for everything. The Creator, the Divine, has already accounted for everything. And the Creator, God, Allah, is the perfect caretaker, is the perfect caretaker. So all of this has already been accounted for. And one of the things that you see people saying over and over and over again, who really are watching with their hearts, wide open and alive to what's happening to the Palestinian people, that people always comment on their deep resolve. This is not shaking their faith in the Creator. This is not shaking their faith. In fact, their faith is so deep. How is it that these people are so committed? And it's a good question, and it's one that I personally love to talk about. And it, it also gets to the question that people ask that I mentioned a moment ago. If God is all good and God is all powerful, why are there so many evil, destructive, difficult nightmares that happen in the world? And it's a good question. And Islam is a religion and the Quran is a book that invites questions because there are answers to these questions, you know. Uh, the scholars that over the course of our tradition that have looked at it have come up with different ways for us to be able to extract what's in the scripture to help us get an understanding or a way of relating to these concepts. And what's believed by most people of faith is that the human beings are finite and everything that we know and interact with is finite. We have a beginning, an end, and in between those two times, we're ever changing and evolving and learning and growing, and we increase and decrease, and everything about us is in flux. And so it's impossible for us to really, truly ever conceive of the infinite 
because that's not what we are. We're finite. And what is described in the scripture, what's described in the Quran, is the divine who is infinite. And so our ability to ever fully hold or grasp the reality of the infinite, uh, we just don't have that ability, especially not in the intellect. You know, and in the Quran, it says the heavens and the earth can't contain me, but the heart of a believing person can contain me. You know, so there is in the understanding of love and of wonderment and even of fear and of pain and enjoy all of these things in the heart of a believing person. There can be a relationship with the divine, but we also are an intellect. And so we do need to be able to relate in a way that's adequate for ourselves with the divine. And so there are many ways of doing that. This is when we get into the language of theology. And so in that language and in that attempt of scholars over the course of 1400 years of the Islamic tradition, some of them have come up with 13 foundational attributes. These are things that we insist are true about the creator that help give our rational mind the ability to at least interact with and engage in, a, in an adequate way with the concept of the divine, of God. And so these are broken up into three categories, and I'll share them. And we'll also talk about what some people even call the problem of good and evil. Like this is a problem for people of faith, and it's a question that, that needs to be answered. And I, for me, as a person of deep faith, I've never not believed. Uh, even before I was aware of Islam, you know, when I discovered the religion of Islam, it's like, oh, this is what I've always believed. I didn't feel, feel fully at home in Christianity, but on a heart level, it was enough for me to believe even though there were certain questions that, for me, Christianity wasn't able to answer. There were certain things where I wasn't able to get uh, an adequate level of satisfaction with that theology. But on a heart level, I was a believer and I was happy to be with other believers. And so the, the Islam, as a wisdom tradition, as an intellectual tradition, as a spiritual tradition, as a legal tradition, as a historical tradition, as an arts community, all of these things have given me such um, resolve and also, I believe, sanity. I believe that these are things that really deeply have hopefully connected me to sanity. Now, it looks insane to a person who's not rooted in metaphysics. Metaphysics are the stuff that comes before, that are like bigger and outside of and predate even the physical world. So Muslims don't have this dichotomy between, well, do you have faith or do you have science? We actually do both. And the Muslim world, especially during the golden age of Islam, advanced to the sciences that they found throughout the world. They weren't at war. Islam has never been anti-science. Now, there are things done with, in the name of science uh, that, that Muslim scholars warned against. And we see a lot of those things being becoming uh, that their warnings were actually very wise, you know, that technology is not necessarily science, that there's certain uh, relationships with science, the philosophy of science, the you know, that science can actually become a religion that would say that 
our ability to observe the material world in a sense in a, in, with the attempt to try to control it and use it to carry out our wishes, which is what technology is about. If we don't have something along with that, that, that allows a human being to observe ourselves and look at, well, where are my desires coming from? And are these desires that we should be carrying out? So the, the desire to kill people and execute people and commit genocide, for example, certain desires, you know, that have been developed in the name of science, in the name of technology, were these good things to do? You know, so the Muslims, when they first encountered uh, bombs, they said, these, uh, the, this is a technology that should never be employed. You know, that, that these things cause indiscriminate killing. So the Muslims preferred swords and bows and arrows. And you can say that's primitive, but the reality is that uh, for, for there to be hand-to-hand -hand combat, for there to be a bow and arrow, there was a certain precision in I'm specifically targeting this person with whom I am engaging on the battlefield, in the field of combat. Uh, the Islamic legal tradition, the Sharia, says that... Uh, Every single um, uh, pain should be taken. Every single attempt should be made to ensure that no civilians are ever harmed. And the same is also true for the environment. Trees should not be harmed. Vegetation shouldn't be bombed and gassed and killed. Water shouldn't be harmed in battle. We don't have the right. These things all have rights in the Islamic legal tradition. And so I say all that to say that the Muslims are, don't have a dichotomy between faith and between the rational self or between religion and science. That's, those are other traditions. The, the Muslims don't have that. Uh, and so that's the physical sciences. Those are what they call the hard sciences that can be observed through the senses. But what, and what's beneath that is metaphysics, meaning what are the what are the laws and the and the natural order of things that predate and are outside of the realm of what's physical? So if you don't believe in metaphysics, then that's truly being a materialist. And so being con but being connected to the metaphysical world is what gives a person a depth in the spirit, in the soul, in the heart. And it actually brings sanity for the intellect and for the mind, because it gives a way of viewing life that's not just flat, that's not just horizontal, that's also vertical, that also goes inside. And it says, all of this is part of a greater meaning, including my joy and my suffering, my highs and my lows, my celebration and my woes. All of it has meaning. And so this metaphysical understanding is one that's extremely important and it's worth considering for all of my people, for all of our listeners, for all of the people that I'm connected with. It's worth considering. And so this is one framework that the Muslim scholars have derived. And each of these things that we call attributes, they're not to be confused with the names of Allah. You may have seen our dear beloved brother Yasin Bey reciting 99 names of God that are mentioned in the scripture, that are mentioned in the Quran. So the name Allah means the one who's worshipped by right. Uh, the one who, you know, and then all of these attributes. So we have Ar-Rahman the one who gives mercy, unabounding, unequivocal, unequivocal, uh, just mercy to everything. 
And then you also have Ar-Rahim, who also has particular and specific mercy. And then you also have all of these other attributes of Allah. Allah is Al-Wadud, the source of all love. Allah is Al-Hadi, the one who guides. Allah is Al-Malik, the sovereign. Allah is, you know, we have all of these 99 names. So oftentimes those names are also called attributes, and they are attributes. But these 13 foundational attributes are not necessarily names. Please bear with me and try to, there, there's a lot of language here that if you're new to theology, and you're new to the language and metaphysics might be challenging, but I promise you there is something worth at least being aware of at the very least. It's, it's, it's good to be aware of uh, this worldview, this worldview. So what we have are first necessary being, the first one, and that is in a category unto itself, that the creator, the divine God, Allah, is a necessary being. And we'll talk about what these things mean in a minute, and we'll go into them. The next are a list that are uh, corrective attributes. These correct misconceptions about the divine that are absolutely impossible and inconceivable. So Allah, the divine, has everlastingness without beginning. There's not a beginning. And the, and the only thing like that, that doesn't have a beginning and was not originated by something else. The second is everlastingness without ending. So the divine does not begin and does not end. Um, the divine also uh, has is one. So oneness is one of those attributes, meaning Allah is not in parts. Allah is not, uh, God is not in parts and is not in pieces. And there's not utterly and completely one. Another one of them is self-sufficiency that the creator is not dependent on any other thing, is not contingent on any other thing. Another one is dissimilarity. So Allah, the creator, is completely and utterly unique, meaning that the creation, for example, uh, is created with uh, some sort of alchemy and of a reflection of the divine reality, of the divine. So the human being, some say, is created in the image of the divine, and uh, our, a lot of our scholars would say that that's okay in the sense that we're created, this is the, the uh, these attributes that we have as created things are on loan from the divine. We're all borrowing our being, our existence from the divine. The divine is the one who brings us all into being and all into existence. So our attributes are going to be reflections of those. But, it, uh, but the creator is unique and dissimilar in, the, in all of these earlier senses that we talked about. Necessary being, being everlasting without beginning or end, being utterly and completely one and being self-sufficient. The creation cannot say any of those things. We all have a beginning. Everything that we've ever seen has a beginning. And, and that means that uh, something had to originate it. Something, a, a thing can't create itself. It can't originate itself. So everything that we've ever seen was brought into existence by something else, owes its existence to something else. And, and a thing cannot bring itself into being because it would have had to exist on some plane, on some level to be brought into being. So we 
do not have everlastingness without beginning or end. And we also don't necessarily have oneness. We are in parts, you know, and uh, our parts are not completely one. And, and we do not have self-sufficiency, even in our own creation, like we are contingent on something that brought us into being. So the creator, one of the attributes, one of the foundational attributes is dissimilarity, meaning that the creator is not like uh, the creation in, the, in those ways. Th so those are the list, uh, those, that particular part of these 13 foundational attributes is about corrective, or some even say negative, and not negative like, oh, you're doing something negative, but they negate a lot of common misconceptions about the divine. So uh, they negate or they correct the idea that, uh, that the creator is, has a beginning, has an end, or is in parts, or is part of a trinity. And forgive me to my Christian friends, but we don't believe in the trinity. The Muslims believe that the creator is essentially one, and that that's a necessary uh, belief about the creator. That's a necessary truth about the creator, about the divine, about God, about Allah. Self-sufficiency, dissimilarity, all these things negate uh, misconceptions about the divine, or they correct misconceptions about the divine that are absolutely necessary to correct through the view of traditional Orthodox Islam that, that's, that comes from the Quran. And then also these other things are positive attributes or things that are insisted that the divine, uh, that these are attributes of God and they are life among them. There are others, but among them are life, knowledge, will, power, seeing, hearing, speech. These are all things that the, uh, from a Quranic standpoint, we insist are true of the divine. And again, these attributes are also going to be seen through the filter of the, of the earlier attributes. So Allah's life is necessary. Allah's life is at God. The life, the divine life is necessary. It's everlasting without beginning or end. It's one. It's not in parts. It's not in pieces. Uh, it's self-sufficient. And that life is also dissimilar from the life of all of the other lives that are gifted to creation. Because our lives, again, are th those earlier attributes that are corrective are not true of us. Allah also, one of the, these foundational attributes is knowledge. And this will be really important when we start talking about things like good or evil, and, and we'll get to that shortly. But knowledge is a necessary attribute to know of the creator. Will, power, seeing, hearing, speech. And all of these are going to be seen through that frame, that they're necessary. And we'll talk about necessary being in a second. But that the, the knowledge of the divine, the will, the power, the seeing, the hearing, the speech, it's necessary. It's everlasting without beginning or end. It's one and uh, it is self-sufficient. It's not contingent on anything else. It, there's no requirements. There's no outside requirements that it's contingent upon. 
And it's also dissimilar in the sense that it's not like the seeing, the hearing, the speech. We also have seeing, hearing, and speech. We also have a type of knowledge. We also have a type of will. We also have a type of power. But those things are in parts, and they're contingent on something else. They have a beginning and end. And that beginning and end means means that between those two points, they change. They, they, uh, they, They waver. They go up and down. They increase and decrease. They have moments of growth and they have moments of uh, regression. So that, so all of those things are true of created things, but of the divine, of God, that life, the knowledge, the will, the power, the seeing, the hearing, the speech, it, they're necessary, they're everlasting, they're utterly one, they're self-sufficient, and they're dissimilar. This is all, again, really new language for people that don't spend their time listening to lectures and reading stuff about theology. But if you're still with me, please stick with me. So we'll talk about necessary being a little bit, and then we'll also talk about what does this mean for the reality that we're experiencing and that people are experiencing at all times about suffering, about evil, about uh, about these nightmares and calamities that happen in life. And these nightmares and calamities and suffering, and the, they're universal. Every single living thing experiences them. And the biggest example of that is death. And we'll also talk about what Muslims believe with regard to the five stages of life or the five lives that a human being experiences. Uh, so first is necessary being. One of the things that we talk about in the language of, in this particular framework of theology, is the difference between what is necessary and what's possible. Uh, by, we say that the creator, the divine, is necessary, meaning that if anything exists at all, people who believe insist that if anything exists, then there has to be a creator who, for whom all of the things that we're talking about here must be true. So for there to be anything at all, every single thing that we've ever witnessed and experienced and observed has a beginning and an end. And everything with a beginning owes its existence. It has to have been brought into being by something else. Something else has to have created. So the fact that we see, I'm looking at my table and I see a cup, I see a stick of Palo Santo, I see uh, the charger for my computer, I see my monitors for trying to listen to my music and trying to get my stuff sounding okay, I see my, uh, you know, all the stuff on my table. All of these things, by virtue of them existing, we know that they did not create themselves. Somebody created this. Somebody brought this into being. Somebody delivered it to me. Somebody created it. I know my AirPods didn't create themselves. You know what I'm saying? I know somebody made them. And the fact that they're here, I don't know who made them. I don't know their name. I don't know the factory. I don't know the date. I, don't, I might not know any of that. But just by the virtue of them existing, I know they did not create themselves. I know they didn't always exist onto infinity going backwards. And I know because of everything else that I've witnessed, I know that they will uh, have an ending. At some point, they will no longer exist. And so the fact that they exist means that it's necessary by rational 
uh, conception that something brought them into being. And every single thing in creation is that way. So everything that we've ever observed has a beginning and end and a change in between. A lot of times they're built and they grow and then sometimes they're decaying, but every single thing changes in between, has a, has a beginning date and end date and in between it changes. So that means that something for all of existence, for the entirety of the universe, for every material thing, and then also every material thing is limited by space and time. For them to enter into space and time means that they're in, they're limited just by virtue of them being in space and time. Nothing in space and nothing in time is infinite because time itself and space itself is a limiter. And so they're limited by the space that they hold. They're located in a certain place. Uh, my AirPods that I'm holding in my hand, they've got they're, they're located in a certain place. They're in Uskudar, Istanbul, in the hands of Brother Ali. On the night that I'm recording this, they're here, and that means that they're nowhere else. So they're not limitless in space. They're also not limitless in time. They're not everlasting. Every single thing that we've seen is finite, including me, including you, including all of us. We don't remember being born, but we've seen people be born, we, we haven't died yet, but everybody we've ever seen and every, ever heard of dies. And so we can posit that I'm going to die. And then my body is going to go, you know, whatever we do, whether we embalm, whether we just wash and put them in the ground the way the Muslims do, whether we burn them, which has become the, the, the really common practice in the West, cremation. At some point, these things are going to break down, decay, and they're going to turn to dust. And they're going to go, they will no longer exist in the form that they're in. And so for all of this creation, for this entire universe, the entire world of space and time, to exist at all, the believer insists that it's true, that something brought all of this into being, this material world caused it, created it originated it, and that that thing that brought it into being, that brought the finite material world of space and time into being, that thing has to be outside of space and time. That thing is not physical. That thing is not inside of time. It's not limited by space and time. It's beyond space and time. And this is what we talk about when we start talking about metaphysics. Space is real. Time is real. The things that happen are real. We're experiencing them. But they're being caused by something outside of space and time. And all of this was brought into being by something that did not have a beginning. Because if that thing had a beginning, something would have had to have originated that. And so some people have this idea that they call infinite regression, meaning that, okay, all the way back into infinity, there was just always something that brought something that brought something that brought something that brought something. And, you know, forgive me, sometimes this stuff feels a little outside of what our, our wheelhouse. But infinity can't be traversed. So, like, how did something, how am I and you on this side of infinity? You know, uh, so what the, the rational mind of the believer insists is true is that for all of this finite stuff 
to have been to exist at all. It has to have been originated by uh, by something greater than it. And I use the word something because there's not a better term by a reality, by a necessary being. And that being is the one that brought it all into existence. And that being cannot have had a creator. That beginning or that being has to be necessary. It has to be everlasting without beginning and end. It has to be utterly one. It has to be self-sufficient by nature of the fact that all of these uh, that all of these dependent creatures and space and time itself being dependent is here. It's all of it is a proof and a sign. All of the things in the finite world, in the material world that can be observed and measured and smelled and seen and touched and weighed and, you know, all of those things are proof in the mind of the believer that uh, of, the, of the spiritual metaphysical being person thinker and being that it's all proof of a timeless universal divine who is responsible for it all and then that divine uh ha it part of the divine attributes are life and our knowledge and will and power and seeing and hearing and speech because for those things to exist in any of the creatures means that uh the one who created is better than the creation I look at the I look at my AirPods again, and I mean you can't see my AirPods. They got this fly little purple gummy kind of case that my wife got me because I'm albino and I'm partially blind, and so a white AirPods in a white, uh, especially when I'm traveling at hotels, the white sheets or whatever. I was losing so many AirPods. She got me this little dope like purple rubbery kind of case, which is great. Whoever created these AirPods is greater than the AirPods. They know things. They have capabilities. The human beings that created this, the AirPod can't create a human being, but the human being can create an AirPod. A carpenter can make a chair, but a chair can't make a carpenter. The creator is greater than the creation, and that's just a necessary rational reality that must be affirmed. That is a universal truth that must be affirmed through this worldview. Again, and people are free to believe whatever they want. But to me, to not have a metaphysical relationship with the things that happen in the world, I could never conceive of that. I couldn't conceive of that. Uh, you know, and so, so the, the, the creator is the attribute, the first foundation, the first of these foundational attributes is necessary being. And so then if we look at things like, if we t just take a look at knowledge, for example, Allah's divine knowledge. Oh, so I, I'm sorry. I was saying that life, knowledge, will, power, seeing, hearing, speech. The fact that I have those things means that the divine, I, I'm not going to have those things, but the divine doesn't have them. So there are some that will say, okay, I believe that there's something, it's fine to believe that there's something greater than the material world. And that that something is the source of vice and virtue and meaning, the source of meaning. Because the source of meaning can't, isn't material. You know, the source of meaning is beyond what's material, is in the metaphysical world. So there are some that will say that, okay, you can believe in that and that's fine. But the second you start insisting on knowing certain things, that's when it starts to get dangerous. You know what I'm saying? And that's based on an experience that people have had 
with militarized, politicized spiritual and religious beliefs. Usually in the West, we've had these experiences with the West's uh, interaction with and a lot of times co-opting of uh, religion. And so people will say religion as this kind of like broad term. Religion is the source of all the suffering in the world and all the evil in the world. I'm sorry, there's no way that that, you can, that just can't be proved. You know what I mean? But I understand why people say that. I think it's an oversimplification. But I do understand that so much evil has been done in the name of religion. And all evil is done in the name of something else. That's the nature of e evil and people that do evil. The Quran talks about the fact that there are people that, that do incredible harm and they shed blood and they do evil things and they do it in the name of doing good. Evil almost never announces itself because the nature of the human being is to resist evil. So if evil says, hey, I'm evil and I'm here to do evil for evil's sake, our nature will resist it. Our nature will not accept it. But the problem that we have is that our hearts go blind. And so may our hearts always be awake and alive so that we can discern between evil who comes in goodness's name. And, and that's where people, that's where it does get a little tricky. And that's where it relies on the, on the heart to be alive to the world of meaning and to be connected to the world of meaning. You know, and so, yes, uh, tremendous atrocities, uh, but all these atrocities are done in the name of some good, whether it's a religious belief or whether it's some sort of nationalism or whether it's some sort of uh, ideology. You know, all of these evils are done in the name of something beautiful and something good. Sexual violence is done in the name of love and intimacy. You know what I'm saying? Uh, all of these evils are done. People seeking to, to, you know, people that get strung out on substances, you know what I'm saying? That's just a person trying to feel good, trying to alleviate all of this pain and suffering. The great poet Amir Suleiman says, I've come to know that the same thing that draws a human being to the pipe, a fiend to the pipe, is the same thing that draws a human being to the light, the love of love. Word is bond. That's true, you know. So... Seeing the world through this metaphysical lens, this spiritual lens, is to see it and know that there's no way that I have life and that I have knowledge and I have a type of will and a type of power and seeing and hearing and speech that's limited. And it's, it must be true that though the one that made me and created all of us has those things. And just like that thing is everlasting without beginning or end, that life is going to be divine life that's necessary, that's everlasting, that's one, that's self-sufficient and not dependent, that's not similar to mine in the sense that so my life is going to be borrowed from that life. It's going to be an expression of that life. It's going to be a reflection and a proof of that life. Also, my knowledge is going to be an expression of that and a sign of that, but it's not going to be everlasting. I'm, it's not going to be all-knowing. My will is not going to be complete. My power is not going to be complete. My seeing, my hearing, my speech, I'm not going to see every single thing that ever has ever happened, but the divine is. And so we get to the problem of suffering. You say like, okay, 
All right. Okay. So all of these things. So Allah, God, the creator, the divine, the source of all meaning, the source of all love, the source of all beauty. Okay. But what's up then with all of this suffering in the world? So one of the things that we, that we see through this particular view of reality itself, of existence itself, and that's what we're ultimately talking about, is the divine knowledge. Let's just start with divine knowledge. The knowledge of the divine, Allah's knowledge is everlasting without beginning, and it also is divine. So we say, like, I might look at myself, and I did for a long time. I looked at myself and I say, okay, this is me as a seven, eight-year-old, and I say, okay, I'm albino. You know what I'm saying? I look different. People treat me cruelly. Uh, I'm also, because of that, I'm partially blind. I have all these visual limitations. I'm extremely light sensitive. I've got low vision. I don't have depth perception. My, my, my vision is profoundly limited compared to other people. I can't see what they can see. I can't do what they can do. I can't catch a ball and I can't see surfaces and I bump into things and I get lost and I, all of this stuff. You know what I'm saying? And I also burn in the sun and I also, people have all these ideas and misconceptions about me. I look weird when I walk into a room. You know what I'm saying? It's different when now I'm in my forties and so people might see my white hair or whatever and just assume that I'm going gray. But when you're seven years old and these are all things that are going on, I can't play football like other people and I can't, you know, drive and I can't do what other people do. Why me? You know what I'm saying? That's a, that's a question that a person could ask. Why me? And if we ask that question with the, with the feeling that there's got to be an answer for this. And so over time, what I learned, right, is that with relation to this particular question, why physically am I the way that I am? And I've always believed in the divine. I've always loved Allah. I've always known God. I've always, I've always, always, always. And there are some, some of the greatest religious teachers, spiritual teachers are people who had periods of atheism. And I, and I get it. I understand it to an extent. I've never had that feeling. I've never been an, I've never been an atheist. I've never, I've never had that. Alhamdulillah, I consider it to be such a gift. This isn't something that I say, I do believe it's better to believe than not. I do believe that. Everybody believes that their belief system is superior. That's why they believe it. And everybody's got a belief system. There's no person that's like, well, every other people have beliefs. I only have my rational mind. No, everyone is interpreting. It's part of the human condition. Everyone is interpreting. Unless you're a complete and utter materialist uh, and you just believe it's just whatever you can do, meaning that you also believe there's no such thing as right or wrong, that, that nothing you can do is right or wrong. Those are all just somebody's interpretations, and I don't interpret. And I would say, even if you believe that, you're in such the minority in the human family that that is also an interpretation. That's also an assertion that you're making. So everybody has a belief system and everybody's belief system also has a code of conduct in order to be a person of integrity. Because like, I can't just say I believe stuff and it doesn't impact the way that I behave. And then everybody has a spirituality attached to that. And everybody believes that their way of understanding things is good because of the fact that we're all uh, inclined towards good. 
part of what we as Muslims believe is that the human being has what's called fitra, which means that we're, we are predisposed to believe good, to be good, to want to do good. Our hearts are inclined towards good. We're happy and at ease when there's good. And when something is other than good and outside of that, that stuff is out of our outside of our nature, we can learn to love it. And may Allah protect us from that. We can learn to identify with things that are outside of our nature. We can we can become people that actually destroy our nature. But our original program, our original nature is to be in love with what's good. And we believe, the Muslims believe, that the religion of Islam, what Allah says in the Quran, is it's deen al-fitra, the religion of our nature. And so what's, you'll hear so many Muslims, especially the people that, that convert to Islam, that start in a different uh, way of life and a different understanding and come to Islam, it's like, this is who I've always been. This is something that has made me feel so comfortable in my skin, in my mind, in my heart. And the only time I have discomfort is because it's hard to implement it all. We're all struggling. And a lot of people that believe in Islam or are drawn to Islam, they don't do it because they're like, well, I'm not going to do it until I can do it right. I don't know a single person that has ever, except for the prophets themselves, said that they were doing it right. And then those prophets pointed to other people and said these people are in fact, so, so there are women in the tradition of Islam that we believe are per, were perfect human beings, that everything they said, said, did, thought, there is such a thing as a, as a perfect human being, but it's not us, and it's none of us that are living now. You know what I'm saying? Even the people that we consider to be intensely close to God, to the divine, to Allah, we call them the awliya, a wali of Allah, a friend of God, a saint, some people call them. We believe that those people sin, that those people make mistakes. They've got contradictions. They've got struggles. They've got uh, inconsistencies in their character. We all do. And for the religion of Islam, that's what being a human being is. That's what being a Muslim is. To recognize truth, to acknowledge the truth, and then also to accept um, the, the moral code of conduct that comes along with that and to try to do it. And the Prophet Muhammad, peace be upon him, said, do not attempt to implement all of this at once. You will be bewildered and overwhelmed and befuddled. You can't do it. You will burn yourself out. And a lot of converts that do convert, a lot of times come in saying, I'm going to do everything. I was like that. And a lot of people like, were like that. A lot of people are like that every day. You burn out. Eventually, you got to realize this is not a sprint. It's a marathon. And it takes a lifetime. And we ask the creator to get us all the way right. And we also trust the creator's mercy that whatever we aren't able to accomplish in this life, we trust the, the creator's mercy. And we'll talk about the lives in a second. So the, when we talk about why was, why was I made like this, seeing through the lens of divine knowledge, that it's necessary, that's everlasting, that's one, that's self-sufficient, and that's dissimilar from the knowledge of creation. The divine knowledge means that Allah knows every single aspect of what this experience is going to be like for me. So every difficulty that I have, bumping my head on stuff, tripping over stuff, not seeing stuff, being in public and, I, and somebody that I know is at an event and they smile at me and I didn't even see them, and so they feel dissed by me, or maybe I was squinting to see something else and I look mean. You know what I'm saying? 
Allah knew every single, every harmful thing that anybody has ever said to me about me, about my identity because of the way that I look, all of the questions that I would have in myself, all of the, all of the, uh, the feeling of lack of worthiness because of the social stuff that comes along with me being an albino, being overweight, all of this stuff. Allah knew all of that. Allah knows every single nuance, detail of what that would be like for me, physically, spiritually, emotionally. Allah knows every night that I cried myself to sleep because I thought that people hated me and that nobody wanted me. Allah knew every single time that I tried to seek acceptance in people, uh, and so I let them you know, not reciprocate my loyalty to them. Allah knew all of that. And uh, that all of that is part of Allah's knowledge. And so, uh, and so Allah's knowledge being necessary, Allah's knowledge being everlasting uh, without beginning, it means that Allah has always known every single detail of me, every centimeter an inch of my body from the top of my head to the bottom of my feet every experience that I would ever have every every thought that I would ever have about it Allah knew all of those things Allah's knowledge is without beginning without end and also Allah's utter knowledge is utterly one and so the knowledge of the things that I would be uh, they weren't they I wasn't designed piece by piece Allah didn't say, okay, I'm going to make this, and then later on have the idea, okay, so the way that I create things, a song, for example, I have a sample, or I have an inspiration, I sample it, so I have that part, then I think about what's the, what are the drums going to be, so when I'm assembling something, my knowledge is dissimilar to Allah's knowledge, my creation is dissimilar to his creation, my will and my power, my creative act is different, I have it in parts, mine isn't utterly one. I have the sample, then I have the beat, then I'm, I'm figuring out the bass line, and then I'm figuring out how to mix it, then I'm figuring out what the chorus is going to be, then I'm figuring out how to mic it so it sounds the right way, then I'm thinking about, and I, and I, I come up with one line for the verse, and then the next line, and then somebody mixes it, and then somebody figures out the right way to EQ all of this stuff, and to put reverb and echo on it, and how to master it, how, all of this stuff. The creation... When creation tries to go through the creative act, that's the way our creation is. Allah is not like that. The creator is not like that. The divine isn't like that. Allah's knowledge is divine and it's one, and meaning that Allah has always known the entire picture of it all. It wasn't, it, it, it wasn't a development. It, wasn't, it didn't have stages. It didn't have parts. It has always all been known. All of this is part of Allah's divine knowledge. Also, what's part, and I'm saying this for you sitting there listening to this, everything that you dislike about yourself, everything, all of this. Also, what Allah has always known is, are the infinite possibilities of what could have been. So if we're just talking about our physical stuff, 
You know what I'm saying? There are women that 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 have that are that are very beautiful, and and men and people that are very beautiful and attractive, and others look at them and say, "Oh, you're so lucky. You're so blessed. I wish I was fine like that." But they know that in their life they've been judged. They people have have thought all kind of stuff about them. Maybe somebody, forgive me for saying so, but has sexually abused them because they're just so attracted to them. You know what I'm saying? They don't know what to do about it. And they don't have, you know, they, they're not able to control themselves. So they have a relationship with that. Other people, you know, one of my favorite writers, James Baldwin, identified as ugly. That was like part of his identity that he would say, I'm black, I'm, I'm frail, I'm gay and I'm ugly. These were ways that he was like, my experience in the world is greatly impacted and shaped and colored by the, these facts. And so people have it and we have to figure out what does that mean? So this lens of seeing the world and, and to me, these things are utterly true in my bones. Part of what Allah has, and so how Allah has always known all of those experiences that we would have. And Allah also, as part of this divine knowledge, Allah's knowledge also is inclusive of all of the infinite possibilities of what could have been because Allah's being is necessary. My being is possible, meaning that it's not like I'm possibly here. Possibly I exist. I possibly don't exist. No, I exist. Here I am. I'm here as six foot albino me that was born in 77 and will die. Oh, Allah knows when. May we have long lives and especially may our ends be good ends. Allah, give us a good end in this life and a good ultimate end. And so Allah knew all of those things. And Allah also knew, knows and has always known all of the infinite possibilities of what uh, uh, other possibilities that I could have been. I could have been born a day before the day I was born, July 30, 77. I could have been born July 29, 77. I could have been born in 1652. I could have been born in the year whatever. I could have been, I could have been a twin. I could have been this color. I could have been that. I could have been. Allah has infinite, perfect knowledge of and has always had that of, of every single other possibility I could have been. All of the infinite possibilities that could have been. And Allah knows and has always known the varying degrees of goodness of each of those possibilities in the ultimate reality. So I, as someone whose knowledge is finite, limited to my own experience and what I've been able to figure out, work out, learn and observe, has is I might not see the, the wisdom in something. But Allah has always known and his knowledge is one divine knowledge of all the possibilities of what I could have been and the varying degrees in the, of goodness in the ultimate reality. And Allah, with divine knowledge and divine will, willed for the best of all possible beings, things to become the creation, to be true. And then in divine power, made it so that those things are true. So when I look at my physical self, it's like there's a time when I was asking the question, why am I a fat, bl partially blind albino born in this situation? Why? Not that I necessarily didn't want to be that, but there's a lot of questions and those questions des deserve to, like, I'm allowed to ask those questions. 
But over time, as I've lived and as I've learned and as I've developed, I now see at 40 whatever years old, 45, 46 years old, I think I'm 46, at 46 years old, now I see that the gifts that I have in my life the, the, ways, the, the ways that I'm able to interact with human beings and engage them, I don't think that, I don't know if I would have, would have and could have been me. And all of the music I make, the talking that I do, the, all of the things that I love about being me are directly related to those challenges that I've had in life. Now, in the, in the realm of possible being, Allah could have made me anyway. And Allah could have given me gifts in any way that he wanted to give me those gifts. And Allah could have delivered those to me however he... But Allah, in his divine wisdom, knowledge, power, chose to deliver those things to me in the exact way that he did. And I'm grateful that I have become pleased and grateful with the divine decree. And so part of what it means for our soul to become satisfied is like we and we, we want to be is satisfied with the divine and for the divine to be satisfied with us. That's self-actualization. That's the end, that's the ultimate goal is to have to be a satisfied soul, satisfied with what the divine does and satisfying to the divine. That's when we're fully at one and that's when we're in flow state. That's what the prophets were. You know what I'm saying? And that's what we're striving to achieve. That's what we ask the divine to make us people like that, to be completely happy, grateful for what is. You know what I'm saying? And in Buddhism, they talk about life is suffering. So to be, to be in the world as it is and to not object and to not have a, and to, to be with what is. We have a, and, and forgive me, Buddhist, I'm, I, I don't know that language as well as I know the language of my tradition. But y'all know what I mean. <laughs> so, the, the, the idea of being grateful and pleased with the divine decree to know that Allah made it this way. And Allah could have made it anyway, but Allah's knowledge is divine and complete. Allah's will and power is divine and complete. And so I am the best possible me. In terms of my creation. So once I understand that for me, then I'm able to understand that also the events that happen not only in my life, but in the creation, Allah is also creating those events. And while I might not have chosen them, Allah knows all every single thing that's happened, every leaf that's fallen off a tree, every leaf that's fallen off a tree, every blade of grass, uh, every time that the wind has blown one of those little speckles off a dandelion, every single thing that's ever happened, ever will happen, and is happening in the present moment, the Creator is supremely and divinely aware of all of them, and also is aware of all the infinite possibilities alternate possibilities of what could have been. Allah chooses, knows also part of divine knowledge is knowing uh, what uh, all of the varying degrees of good of all those other infinite possibilities and chooses the best of all of them. Even though because my knowledge, my experience is linear, my knowledge is not one, my, my knowledge is linear, it's developing. My experience is happening day after day after day. So we look at the stories of our lives and like we look back on them. You know, we look at somebody like Helen Keller. Or we look at all of the people that we see as heroes. 
anybody we look and see as a hero, we see that horrible things happen to them that were part of making them who they are. And in any of these stories of the prophets that are in the scripture or any of our heroes that are in comic books or in real life or any of them, you look at Nelson Mandela's life. Uh, you look at, you know, Harriet Tubman's life. You look at any of the people that we look up to and love. You look at their lives and part of why they're heroes to us is because they've gone through immense trials and, and difficulty. But on the other end, it all had its purpose and it's all had its reason. But when we look at our stories and the stories of other people, because we are not the divine, the divine breathed into us. We're borrowing our existence from the divine. And in that sense, all of us are carriers of the, we're signs of the divine. That's what we carry. So, you know, again, to, to kind of dip into another tradition, when they say namaste, it's like the divine uh, uh, ex expression that I am recognize the, recognizes the divine expression that you are. And the Quran says, Qad karamna bani Adam. There's a certain level and a certain type of nobility that is just true of all of the people that descend in the human family. All of the human family have a level of nobility. And the soul that's blown into us is the breath of the divine. And it's impossible for anything to exist other than the fact that it's the expression of the divine, a sign of the divine. And it's the finger, it's the walking fingerprint of the divine. Everything and everyone. So when we look at these lives, we see them as a linear story. So it's like first this thing happened, then this thing happened, then this thing happened, and then this thing happened. But the divine, the knowledge of Allah is everlasting without beginning or end, and it's utterly one. So Allah doesn't, Allah reveals our stories to us and the story of history like this to us in a linear sense. As a, as a linear story, because that's how we engage. But to Allah, Allah's always known them. Uh, the great poet Amir Suleiman, one of my dearest friends in the world, I don't talk to him as much as I want to. I don't see him as much as I want to. I don't care. Amir is one of my favorite human beings in this world. Amir is writing, and I, I can say this because he's shared it publicly. Amir is writing a dope movie, an incredible movie. And I won't give away the plot, but he's writing this amazing movie. And he says, I'm writing this movie because I love this character. And this character, I want to show the world how beautiful this character is, uh, how generous this character is, how brave this character is. But in order to do that, I've got to bring it out. I've got to make this character prove it. I, that's how I that's how I make it manifest and known so it can be witnessed. So this truth can be witnessed. Allah says in the in, in the Islamic tradition, I was a hidden treasure and I love to be known. So I created creation to know me. And so in our living of our own lives and the things that we experience, this is how we come to know the world of meaning, to come to know the creator. And this is why people that go through crazy things in this life, a lot of times you look at them, they're either broken by what they go through or they become saints based on what they go through. And by saints, I don't mean that they're infallible. I mean that they are intimately aware of what we're talking about. It's not just something they read in books. They've tasted it. They know it. It's in their bones. It's in their heart. It's in their tears. It's in their breath. It's in their lives. It's in their everything they see. Imam Ali said, if the veil were peeled back, 
between creator and creation, it wouldn't change my certainty. Imam Ali said, I don't see anything except for I see the creator before it, in it, after it, all around it. I see the creator in every created thing. And that's an extremely high level of metaphysical being, spiritual being, of perception. That's the way Imam Ali was, you know. May Allah be well pleased with him. And so Amir Suleiman says, I want it to be shown to this, this character and to the entire creation what I created here. And so I want everybody, I want it to be known by even the person viewing this movie how generous this character is. So in order to do that, I have to make the character go through poverty so that I can show them being generous in that moment of poverty. My man, the great artist, uh, the great MC Slug from Atmosphere, one of my mentors, my dear friends, I always say he was generous. He's generous now and he's a successful person. But I know Slug was generous when he had nothing. Slug had $30 in his pocket. He sold records to just make it through the week so that he could build this, this record label and this, you know, this career of his to, to do it independently. He sold records out of his collection and he felt so terrible about it. And, you know, I was stranded with my baby and didn't have cab fare. And he gave me the cab fare. He gave me the $30. And I said, no, this is your last $30. He said, this is the only thing that's going to make today make sense. In order for a person to, for it to be known, the creator is always known. Sean Daly, that particular guy, is tremendously generous. But in order for it to be witnessed by him and by creation, and also by way of it being his generosity being seen, it is testament to the divine. And so he puts him in a situation the same way Amir does when this character, this this movie that he's writing that this person experiences poverty and you see how poor they are how, how desperate they might seem but in that moment they're generous and so their generosity is undeniable the beauty and the generosity of spirit the the endless wellspring of love of this person is undeniable be, and, and Amir, as the writer, the author of that story, had to do that to show it to you. Also, Amir wants you to see how fearless and courageous this character is. And so he writes really extremely difficult, terrifying moments into that person's life. And here's the part that, I, that made me say all this. Amir says, I'm showing you how tremendously terrifying this moment is. But Amir is like, man, as the author of this story and a lover of this character, it's not enough. So I then show you a flashback to their childhood and something terrifying happened in their childhood that makes this moment all the more horrific. But in this moment, this character finds it within themselves to be courageous and to do the right thing in the face of all this fear and, and horror that they're experiencing. And they do that out of their love. And so Amir is writing this poem. So the character, if we see the character as a real person, and if we see the person watching this movie and it's like, oh my God, why is this person going through all this stuff? Amir is saying that writing this character is giving him a new understanding of his own relationship. And by extension, all of our who are blessed to be in the audience of Amir Suleiman, we're all seeing how how incredible the divine is, the divine knowledge of Allah that doesn't have beginning or ending, that 
uh, is utterly one so that I'm experiencing my life and we're experiencing history as this ever unfolding linear uh, l- uh, sequence of events. But the, but the divine Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has always known all these things knows them and knows every single detail and every single all of the so now we watch something like what's what's happening to the Palestinian people and to people suffering all over the world to people who are living through the horrors in the Congo and the Sudan and the south side of Chicago and uh, the, for the people who are in the Holocaust for what Anne Frank went through for what all of these people experience we understand them uh, in the moment that we're seeing. We understand them in the linear way that us as created beings who have a beginning and an end, who are finite, who are, who are limited by space, limited by time, especially in this part of our, of our existence and our journey. And we'll talk about the five lives of a human being. There's no other way for us to relate to it other than in a linear fashion. But in this linear way, we start to understand the way that the divine is revealing themselves, the way that the divine is showing us their divini- the, the divinity of, of the creator, of the source, of Allah. And so we start to see this good and evil in through this lens. So... But what does that mean about a person doing evil? Does that mean that, that a person doing evil, it's like, well, Allah is in control of all of this anyway. So doesn't that mean that we'll start to have this, this all too often phenomenon of spiritual bypassing? That that means we just don't engage. Well, Allah wrote, did all this anyway. Allah wrote all this anyway. Didn't, aren't you saying God did all this? We can become fatalistic. We can start to have this like, you know, this idea of destiny, of divine planning, of divine order, of divine will. What in, in the Islamic tradition is called qadr. One of the things that we believe in, every single thing happens. You hear the, the Muslims saying, I want to do so-and-so, inshallah. Meaning, I want to do them, but they'll only happen if Allah has willed them to happen. And when something happens, good, bad, or otherwise, we say, mashallah. It means that Allah willed it. So sometimes people would be like, oh, we had our daughter. MashaAllah, MashaAllah. You know what I'm saying? It'd be like, oh, uh, you know, Allah saw fit that my, my baby died. MashaAllah. You know, all of it, all of that. So we start to, we start to see through this lens. And we start, and this becomes a way of being. And through all of these things, it's revealed to us our relationship with the creator, our relationship with the divine. And so we can get trapped in this idea of fatalism. They're like, well, it's all just God anyway. The reality is that Allah is creating the things that happen in the world. These are all Allah's creative act. Just like the physical things that are in creation are Allah's creative act as the source. So are the things that transpire. Allah is creating them. The human being role in all of those things is that the human being is earning what we do. We are acquiring the record of what we do and don't do, the things we say and don't say, the things we care about and don't care about, the things we desire and don't desire. All of these are accumulations of who we are. These are revelations of who we are. These are the ultimate expression of who we are. So this character in Amir Suleiman's movie is 
earning their account of deeds that are the expression of. So Allah is revealing who Allah is. And in this thing, by the things that we attempt, the things that we intend, the things that we struggle for, the things that we achieve and accomplish and do or don't do, all of these things are our own expression. This is the book that we're writing. And so uh, these things, this this belief, this way of being in the world, this way of seeing the nature of reality, it's it's not a get out of life free card. It doesn't mean that we don't show up. In fact, for the true believer, it actually allows us to show up in a fight, in a struggle, in a challenge, in something to be patient with, in a something that we don't understand, and it makes us utterly uh, rooted in a belief that all of this is good, even if I don't understand. That's why you see a mother carrying her child in Palestine and saying, Hasbi Allah, Hasbun Allahu wa ni'am al-wakil. Yes, there's, there's, you know, as the date of this recording, 8,000 souls that have been killed. Uh, two and a half thousand of them babies. You know what I'm saying? That's a number. But the people in Palestine are saying, Allah has taken account of everything. Yes, you can count numbers. Yes, you can count people. Yes, you can count dollars. Yes, you can count deeds. Yeah, and you should count all those things. Yes, we count our prayers. Yes, we count our charity. Yes, we count our fasting. Uh, but, we, but we know that ultimately Allah has already accounted for all of this. Hasbun Allah. Hisab deals with, with, uh, with accounting, like literally accountants. That's the language that they use to add something up. And Allah has already the divine, the source of it all, the source of all love, the source of all meaning, the source of all justice, the source of all mercy, has accounted for all of this. And and is the perfect, is the blessed, is the most perfect caretaker. That Allah is, has accounted for this and is, ta- is taking care of every molecule in the creation at all times. And so this allows for someone like Malcolm X to say, well, aren't they going to kill you for that? And said, yeah, I live my life like I'm already dead. I have no fear of death. Yes, they're going to kill me for what I'm saying. Yes, for what I'm doing. You know what I'm saying? And, 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 and Frank faces the world, can't see, can't hear, can't, all of this stuff fearless and just a well of beauty that comes out of this woman just a complete well of beauty you know what i'm saying yes james baldwin is in the world all of the ways that he describes and and what's his response to all of the all of the loveless uh, cruelty that's been steeped on him and generations before him he writes beautifully, even about the people who are dehumanizing him. He writes beautifully about their humanity. Go and read the books that he writes. Go and read his white characters. Go and read the, the, the nuanced human uh, characters that he writes in all, of his, in all of his works. And then also read about the layers and nuance that he writes about himself and his black characters and just the, the beautiful levels of of experience and, and, uh, and struggling and wrestling of the human condition that he writes. He gives back nothing but love. He tells the truth fearlessly. And when it's time to show up and fight, that man is telling the truth fearlessly. All of our heroes are telling the truth fearlessly. Some of them are meeting their enemies on the battlefield. Some of them are giving their lives. 
And they're doing it beautifully and fearlessly because they're aware this has all been accounted for. And all of this has meaning, even if I'm not able to grasp it in this moment. Nelson Mandela, 27 years in prison. Winnie Mandela, all those years, you know what I'm saying, out in the world, advocating for her husband. All those years. Oh, all of these heroes over and over and over again. Rabbi uh, Heschel, you know what I'm saying? All of these amazing human beings that live throughout time. All of the people that we love and look up to. They are able to show up in a, and they're able to access a well of strength and courage and fearlessness and love and smile and flyness and sexiness and dopeness and beauty and swag and drip in every moment while they're facing all of that. Why are they so fly while they're going through what they go through? This is what the whole world cannot understand about the children of, Af the of Africans and their descendants all over the world. Who has, nobody has undergone what they've gone through. And I say that with all due respect to all of the nightmares that everybody in, his, in humanity has experienced. The original mother and father of human beings have gone through more than anybody else. Everything that anyone else has gone through, they've gone through it to a greater degree. That's my story and I'm sticking to it. And, and you know, if you don't know, I would encourage you to study more history. And what's been the response? Have, have endured and lived and loved and taught through all of that suffering in a way that all the rest of us are trying to copy and mimic and be part of. You know what I'm saying? And you either acknowledge it as like, yes, this is, the con this is mom and dad. You know what I'm saying? Or you just steal it and you deny that humanity. But all of this is part of the metaphysical connection to something that's bigger and, and outside of space and time. But not to diminish and not to ignore and not to be complacent or absent or to distort or to deny what's going on in space and time. In fact, it, should, it makes us show up in that way. And then furthermore, for the people of, of faith, we talk about the five lives of the human being. We talk about the ultimate reality. The Quran describes a life, an entire lifetime before this life, where all of the souls, all of the human beings that are living now have ever lived and ever will live. Allah says your creation and your resurrection is as one human family. And that's why Allah says in the Quran, to kill one innocent life is like you've killed all of humanity. And to save an innocent life, it's as though you've saved all of humanity. And this goes for everybody in all cases, unequivocally, undeniably. And so, but the human beings, that all of us were together in a state of divine witnessing. And Allah talks about this in the Quran, describes a time before we came into this space and time. A, a, an entire lifetime when the human beings were just all experiencing the divine together. It was all divine witnessing. It was all beauty. It was all just and all, and all merciful and all loving. We were in the divine presence. That's where all of us were before we come into this place. And that's why b babies, when they're born, we all recognize a beauty in these babies, regardless of where they're born. And the Muslims believe that that fitrah is the natural state upon which every, everyone is born. And the Prophet Muhammad, peace be upon him, says every single human being is born on the fitrah. 
And that on that nature, on that nature that loves beauty, that loves justice, that loves mercy, that loves kindness, that loves fairness, that is, is automatically and naturally inclined to what's good and automatically repels what's not. We love beauty and we hate, when we dislike, we're uneasy with something that's other than beauty. And beauty is the splendor of truth. So if something, so beauty always conveys a type of truth, you know what I'm saying? And ugliness is, is uh, the scar that, that shows deprivation. Ugliness is deprivation of truth. And so all of us in this time, we're, we're witnessing the divine together as a human collective. It also is evidenced by the fact that we come into being and regardless of our ideologies or our religions or our cultures or our languages or our cognitive frames, all of us know that there's such a thing as good. All of us believe that truthfulness is beautiful and that uh, being untruthful is not, is, is not beautiful. We all know that courage is beautiful. We all know that generosity is beautiful. We all know that we all know these things. There are universal goodness that's recognized by all people. And we differ in the ways that we understand carrying those things out and delivering those beauties to the, to, and showing them up, manifesting those things. But we all acknowledge that. That's because of the fact that we all were witnessing the divine beauty. And in that time, there was no deprivation. There was no deception. There was no oppression. There was no unfairness. There were no lies. It was all divine witnessing. So when we come into this part of life, what the Muslims, what the Quran calls the dunya, this place of space and time, uh, that's when we start to become uneasy with the lack of with the, with the fact that in this time, in this particular part of our journey, this is the only time in God's creation where there is deprivation and there's deception, there's lies, there's oppression, there's propaganda, there's gaslighting, there's emotional abuse, there's spiritual bypassing, uh, there's, there's denial of humanity, there's darkness in the heart, there's all of this stuff. That's what exists in this realm. And so why is that? Why would that be the case? In that first, the first part of our divine witnessing, the Quran says that the creator said to us all, addressed us all as a united human family. Again, every soul that is existing right now, every soul that ever will exist and every soul that ever has existed, the divine said the words in the language of the Quran, am I not your caretaker? Me, the divine, the unseen, the source, the, the necessary being, who, is, who has everlastingness without beginning or end, who's utterly one and self-sufficient and divine with knowledge and life and, and, and uh, will and strength and power and seeing and hearing and speech. Am I not the one who's sustaining you, who's creating you? Am I not your Lord? Am I not your evolver? Am I not your caretaker? Am I not the one who is providing for you? And that all of the human beings announced together Bella, Shahidna, certainly we witness, we are witnessing the divine. And what's even told to us by some of our spiritual uh, masters is that, you know, we come into this life and there are certain people we never met before, but it's like, man, I know you. My soul knows your soul. My soul recognizes your soul. 
What the spiritual masters in our religion tell us is that the souls were together in that time in ranks and that some of us were together in that time and we recognize each other. So for me, that's going to be somebody like Yasin Bey, somebody like Amir Suleiman, somebody like, you know, my teacher, Dr. Omar Farouk Abdullah. There are certain people that it's like, my soul just knows your soul. And I don't need other people to, to understand it. And some of these people, a lot of these people, I have just, I personally, my own story is that I saw their work, I saw them speak, I saw them teach, I saw their thing. And I was like, yeah, it's not just that I'm a fan of theirs, but like, I know you and I love you and I'm part of you and you're part of me. And the people that listen to, to my music even, like I felt that way about KRS-One and then Allah put me on stage with KRS-One when I was 13 years old. I felt that way about Chuck D and Chuck D was the day there the day my daughter was born. And I've been in his house and I know his family and I know his, I know things, of, I know him and I love him. And it's true of Rakim and it's true of a bunch of other people that whose names you might not even know. But that's what it's been like for me. But there's a bunch of other people that they, they, don't, they don't need to be prominent people with social media following and fan groups. There are people like that that like, I know you and I love you and I've always known you and I've always loved you from before before. And you can say that that's some spiritual mumbo jumbo until you experience it. If you haven't tasted it, I don't expect you to understand it. But once you've tasted it, you know it's true and you can't unknow that. And so... There are people like that. There are there are there, there, and and some of you all that listen to me, you come and you cry in my show, and I you say you know me and you do know me, and I and you love me and I love you, and and our love and our connection is what was was created and is known by the divine and has been known from the from the universal source of all things, and it, and it was everlasting without beginning or end. Our love and our connection has been there before that. Before, before. Allah has known about us before anything ever happened. And once you've tasted that, you know something about that. And that's why it's so hard to wrestle with the, the idea of metaphysics and spirituality and religion and scripture and religion and prophecy and all of this stuff. It's hard to wrestle with and it. it's hard to let go of it, too. As part of the human condition, as part of who we are, we're we're a laughing animal, we're a crying animal, we're we're a, 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 an a artistic, creative animal, we're a singing, dancing animal, we're also a religious animal. I'm sorry, that's just what it is. And if you don't have a religion, you will create a religion, and that's what these ideologies become. And I get it all, and I understand. I, I'm I love it all because I understand that it all comes from the same divine reality. So the first part of our life is that we were in that time of divine witnessing, and then we come into this time, the dunya, what's called the dunya, and then we'll talk about the dunya a little bit more. But after the dunya is the life of the grave, and we believe that there's an entire life in the grave, and that after that there's a reckoning. There is a time of complete truth telling where after we die, after we die in the material world, there's just our meaning. And we believe in that time that there is a day of judgment, a day of reckoning, a day of truth, a day when the accounts fall due. And on that day and not a moment before it, all of the 
That's when all justice happens. That's when all mercy happens. That's when all the accounts are settled. Not a moment before that. And we talk about divine justice, but we also talk more about divine mercy. There was a great saint in the Islamic tradition that said, I've been alive. He was 60 years old. He said, I've been alive for 60 years. I can't remember the number of days, but that's like 20,000 days, maybe. Forgive me. I can't do the math in my head. But he said, if I've been alive for 20,000 days, what if I've done one thing that's offensive to God? Which is as little as like just being unmindful, just forgetting about God for one second that I owe my entire existence to the creator and I'm just ungrateful for a second. Do I have the right to be ungrateful for even a second when my very existence is on loan from the source of all being that I'm just not grateful for a second? You know what I'm saying? The people who, who identify as atheists and a lot of my dear friends are that way. I don't think, I, I think belief is better than disbelief. I don't think I'm better than anybody. And if I do, then may Allah rid that from me and take that from me before my accounting happens. But it's like I ask those people, like, are you grateful? Yes. To who? To the to the a physical thing? Is it good to be grateful? Yes. Okay. Gratitude cannot be real without an object. There's got to be an object of gratitude. To whom or to what am I grateful? Because that thing is the divine. That's the Allah that I'm talking about. That's what the scripture is talking about. That's what the that's what the believers are talking about. And, 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 if, and if you don't believe that that thing is a specific thing or a specific idea, neither do I. That's what we mean when we say la ilaha illallah, that there will be no substitute. Nobody's specific cognition or idea will be the substitute for Allah, which is beyond our, which is beyond my owning. I don't own it. I don't hold the trademark on it, the patent on it. I don't have a monopoly on it. I don't, I don't have the right to relate to it that somebody else doesn't have. It's not bound in any one particular idea, ideology, or even religion. The universal source of it all. La ilaha illallah. There will be no minor gods, lowercase gods. There will be no substitution. There will be no incarnation of that thing that is that 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 will substitute for the divine reality. And that's the source of our gratitude. So this great saint said, if I if I sinned, if I offended the divine, if I didn't give the divine the right of God for even a moment, even just one day, one time for every day I've been alive, 20,000. How can I ever how can I ever stand before the divine with that and feel like I can be safe? And so that person died that moment of grief. And so all of us, for as much as we talk about justice, what we really want is mercy. We want grace. And so our wanting grace, my wanting grace, my knowing that I'm in need of divine mercy, not to just for just for ingratitude, just for being thoughtless and, and for a moment in time is enough to die weighing it for the real weight of what it is. But then there's also, so the day of judgment is that, but the day of judgment is also the day of divine revelation. That all of the beauty, all of the amazing things that you and I have done and all of the, the incredible divine secrets of what we are, our lineage and all the secrets that we've carried, the, the beauty that we've done, 
we can't really know it. Nobody can know how really, truly beautiful you are until that moment. Because we're all seeing through these limited frames. Only the divine knows that about you. And not only is it going to be revealed all the mistakes and inconsistencies and, you know, straight up just funky, whack, horrific, nasty, petty bullshit that we've done throughout our lives. All that's going to be revealed in that moment. But also every beautiful thing that you've ever done, every time that you serve somebody and forgave them, even just on a heart level, any time that the person that violated you, wronged you, abused you, oppressed you, that there was something in your heart that says, man, I don't want this to be their, 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 I, I don't even, I don't want that for them. They're still human to me on some level. That is enough that, that Allah says that if if the, the light, if the heart of a person, of a believer, of a person who's connected to the divine reality in their heart, if that heart, even that person who's just full of inconsistencies and pettiness and wrong and hurt and harm and mess that they've caused, a sinful believer, if that heart were to be opened up, the light from a heart like that would blind the world. And that's true also, but that doesn't really get fully shown. And so what we're taught is that even before the relationship between the creator and the, and the individual, even before my account of deeds between me and God is, is, is arranged or is addressed in that moment, on that day, in that lifetime of the, of the, of the reckoning, all of the things that I've done and that we've done to each other have to be paid back first. So anytime I spoke about somebody and dishonored them and it wasn't my right to do that, I have to make that right. That will be made right. If it's not made right in this time and in this plane, and if I don't figure it out and try to make it right and seek that person's forgiveness, that person on the day of judgment will speak against me and my tongue will speak on its own and say, Ali abused me. Ali oppressed me. Ali made me speak uh, negative words about a person and violate their right. And I know that I've got that on my record. And I got to live my life trying to figure out what the hell to do about that. And that's enough for me to drop dead if I were honest and I'm not, I'm not honest enough. I'm not being real enough to drop dead for, based on the, the, the harm that I've caused other, others with my tongue. And again, I do it saying that it's in the name of telling the truth and whatever. I've harmed and wronged other people. You might be hearing this and feel like I've wronged you. I'm asking you, forgive me. There are people who have died that it's like, you know, maybe, maybe they did wrong. I'm thinking of somebody that I know and I loved and they did a lot of harm. They harmed me. They harmed a lot of other people. And in my attempt to do something about that, I exaggerated about them. And I pray that I can be forgiven for that. And that person died. I pray I can be forgiven for that. Because I know that there's a day of judgment coming, that my death will come, and that there will be a life in the grave of me sitting with what I did and not being able to do a damn thing about it anymore once I'm in that grave. And then there will be a reckoning. And I will see that person and that person will not be dead. And everything that I said will be brought to light, except for the things that I've been forgiven for. And so I know that I need to be forgiven, not to mention the things my eyes have done. 
not to mention the things my hands have done, not to mention the thing, the things my, my voice has done and my, my heart has done and my body has done and I did with my, all of my limbs and everything else. All of that is going to be made whole and made right. And each of us will, will be given our just due on that day. And if I'm not able to make right between me and a person and they still, I still owe them, then all the praying and all the worshiping and all the fasting and all the, all the charity and all that stuff, my good will be given to them. And if I run out of good deeds, then I will take their bad deeds onto my account. So may Allah forgive us. And may Allah bless us to get it right while we're still breathing before we're in those graves. Every moment is an opportunity and they're, they're leaving us every breath. Allah has always known how many breaths we have left. And so may we get it right. And when we're, and so while we're talking about justice and oppressor, oppressors, we also need to, to be really focused on mercy because when I meet God, I don't want justice. I want mercy. I don't want to be repaid for all this mess I've done and all the harm I've done. I don't want it to be justice. I want mercy. And so I want, when people have wronged me, I want the gates of mercy to be wide open for them because I want those gates wide. I want the gates of mercy wide, wide, wide because that's what I know I need. And the, the, and in the scripture, we are told about the fifth life of a human being, being the garden and the fire. A lot of people don't like that language. A lot of people been threatened with hell and all this stuff. We do believe in the garden. We do believe in the fire. And the, 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 the worst part about the, the fire is not the burning. The worst part about the fire is no is the distance from the divine and knowing that we failed in our job in life to be people of beauty, to be people of light, to be people of generosity and virtue and goodness and love and compassion and to be instruments of divine beauty. That's what our job in life is to be. And if we miss that mark and if we fail to do that, and most of us lie to ourselves a lot to get us to that place. If we fail to do that, that's the worst part of just knowing we failed. And the Muslims don't believe that the, that the fire is permanent for everybody. And the Muslims don't believe that if you're not, we don't believe, like there are religions that believe that if you're not, if you don't believe what they believe, you go to hell forever. We don't believe that. And there are people that believe if, you be, if you're in their club and you believe what they believe, you automatically go to paradise forever. We don't believe that either. We do believe that if a person lives and dies acknowledging the divine and acknowledging the human beings who are the, the archetypes and the proof of the divine, that there were people that walked on this earth that actually did achieve being completely beautiful. We do not de uh, deny the reality of the perfect beauty that the human being is capable of, and that's embodied in the prophets. So for the Muslims, the two things that make a person or a Muslim are just the two statements, Ashhadu an la ilaha illallah. I bear witness that there is no substitute except for the divine, the source of it all. Ashhadu an la ilaha illallah. And the second part, Ashhadu anna Muhammad al-Rasulullah. 
And I witness that Muhammad is the messenger of Allah. And by extension, I'm witnessing all of the divine messengers. And they were in every group of people. Everybody's ancestry group has prophets among them, has divine reminders, people that came to remind of this universal truth. And they all were calling to the same divine source. The people that criticize religion, well, this person's God says this person's God is wrong. And my God says your God is the... No, not for us, not in this, not not for the in the what the Quran says. Ashhadu an la ilaha illallah, la ilaha illallah. There are not multiple gods. His God says that, and my God, there is one source of us all. And to acknowledge that source and to acknowledge that there can be no substitute and nobody's individualized or group uh, claims to have some exclusive right to that God, we don't recognize any of that. All of the creation knows the creator by right. It's the number one thing we know. It's the most important thing we know. And it's really who we are. We're created to know, to acknowledge, to worship, to serve, to be instruments of the divine. La ilaha illallah. And then Muhammad Rasulullah, what we're acknowledging is that there are people, there were people who walked on the earth who were that. It is possible to be that. And that those people are this are the ultimate signs of the divine. And that all of those and that they all were pointing to the same. So those are the two things. And so the Muslims believe, and we're told, that a person who lives and dies with those acknowledgments, their ultimate home will be with the divine, will be in the garden. But we don't believe that Muslims can't go to hell. And we don't believe that all non-Muslims go to hell. We don't think we're going to be alone in paradise and that we are just living free from the... We, we also believe that there's a beautiful love affair between the Creator and the Prophet Muhammad, peace be upon him, and, the, and through certain people. And by loving them and by imitating them and by being part of their... We believe that we're part of the community of the Prophet Muhammad, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, prayers and peace be upon him. We believe that our Christian brothers and sisters, our, our family, are part of the community of Jesus. We believe that our Jewish family are part of the community of Moses and of Abraham. And, and we also believe that we are, by extension, part of those communities as well. And that all people, if they're following their aboriginal, traditional, native beliefs, that they also are, are connected to the teachers of those beliefs that are raised up in the same way. You know what I'm saying? And so... This is, this is what we believe. And so when we talk about Allah's divine knowledge of us and what's happening with us, our days, our times, our lives, our highs and lows and joys and woes, our struggles and our pain, our celebration and our torment and our, all of it, that all of it is part of the divine reality, the ultimate reality that's beyond space and time. And so we're in this particular time, this particular situation called the dunya with these conditions. And in it are also, and this is the one and only time when there's degradation, when there's deception, when there's forgetfulness of the divine, of the divine, when there's deprivation, when there's gaslighting, when there's lying, when there's propaganda, when there's all of this emotional deceit and blackmail and abuse, all of these types of abuse and oppression, this only exists in this time. And the question why is because this shows us who we are. This shows us who we are. 
So then the question becomes, well, why does Allah make some people oppressors and some people beautiful? I asked one of my teachers that, and he said, don't you waste a minute thinking about that. You just be grateful that you love the creator and that you've been guided. And so I said, and I said, well, the reason I'm asking is, what if I think I'm guided and I'm actually misguided? And the, this particular teacher said, well, your, the gratitude is an invitation to the divine to be increased in something. So anything that you express gratitude for, Allah revealed in the Quran, that anything I'm grateful for with the divine, the divine will increase me in that thing. If I'm not grateful for it, then I risk losing it or having it just be stagnant and dormant. And dormant. So gratitude invites growth, constant elevation, cause expansion. I write my mom's rhymes while I chill in my mess at Rock Him line. Constant elevation. So to constantly be more grateful. The things that we're grateful for increase. Be, not because of us, but because of the nature of Allah, the, the, the reality of the divine. What Allah wrote for himself is that the things that we're grateful for will always grow. So one of my teachers, I asked that question. That teacher said to me, well, you know, Allah guides some and misguides others. And Allah says that there are tyrants and that there are oppressors. And oppression is a type of blindness, deafness, dumbness. And it's not the, it's not the eyes that go blind, it's the heart that goes blind. And so to be grateful for whatever monicum of and, and molecule of guidance that we've been given, even the desire to be guided is in, it, is in and of itself guidance. It's a gift. Guidance itself is a gift because even to desire it, to ask for it, we would have had to be guided to be asked to ask for it or to desire it. And so we're in this realm with all of these challenges to show who we are. So then I asked another one of my teachers, and there's, there's constant conversation within all of these wisdom traditions about why is there good and evil. Some say it's because of Allah saying, I was a hidden treasure, but I love to be known, so I created creation to know me. Allah also says, I talked about this in an episode I did called Prayer of the Oppressed. Allah also describes announcing our creation, the human being, with the human condition to the rest of creation. Allah says, I'm going to make inside of the dunya, inside the earth, the actual, the ard, inside on the earth, a khalifa, something that's going to have its own type of sovereignty and will and be able to make its own decisions, implying that it might follow its own design and best nature, but it might completely be deprived of that. There might be total deprivation. There might be total uh, bastardization of their, even of their own nature. They might start loving and identifying with things that are completely against their nature. That's part of the human condition. And the angels actually ask, isn't that going to be a problem? Aren't they going to start all kind of make all kind of mess? And aren't they going to shed blood? And Allah said, I know what you don't know. So not saying, no, they're not going to be a problem, but that there will be problems. But the reality is that there will be those who in this challenge of the dunya, remember, have something inside them that says, Beauty is real. It's not just my conception. Love is real. I'm not just making it up. Truth is real. There's such a thing as truth that is a reality that doesn't depend on whether or not I believe it or know it. It just is. And ultimately, the divine source of all this meaning and all this love and all this beauty and all this is real. 
And some of them are going to know that even though they have the ability to do something else. It's like when we meet somebody, a stranger, and that person, I'm about to, it's about to be my 20th anniversary, me and my wife. She used to be a stranger. The first time I laid eyes on her, I didn't know her, didn't know her name. She went from being a stranger to the most, you know, to the closest person to me in the world. And it's like, the part of the beauty of all that is that she was a stranger. It's like, you didn't even know I exist and you love me? And then, and then over and over, I do all this stuff and you love me anyway? And she's seen all my flaws and all my faults and all my flaws and all my inconsistencies, all of my pettiness, all my smallness. And not only does she love me anyway, she covers a lot of it. She doesn't even say to me all the whack things she knows about me. She didn't even tell me the truth all the, because she just it, she's covering it with her grace. And may Allah cover all of her flaws and any faults and any fault because of the fact that she covers mine. And she I don't even see it in her eyes, but I know she knows whack things about me that I don't even like to acknowledge about myself. She knows me in a lot of ways better than I know myself. That's why a lot of times a lot of times we grow to hate the people that know us and love us. We grow a disdain for them. And we're uncomfortable around them. And it's hard to talk to them about our feelings. But we got to learn it. We got to figure it out. And so it's like, well, why is there evil? And why is there all of this stuff? It exists in this particular part of our journey as part of a greater divine reality. And I am, I, I could lose everything in this life. But may I never lose that. And there is nothing in this world that could ever replace that. So may we live and may we die and may we pass on to the other parts of our lives being deeply, firmly identified by and rooted in the divine reality. Uh, any mistakes that I've made, please forgive me. I'm sure that I'm sure that it's full of mistakes. I'm not an Islamic scholar. I love Islamic scholars. I hang out with them. I try to learn from them whatever I can. I listen to them when they talk to each other. I'm not a scholar. I'm not even a serious student now that I've met serious students. But I'm immensely grateful. Also, uh, my knowledge and my understanding and my consideration is not divine. So if I've offended you or if I've offended anybody else, I ask you to cover it with grace and mercy. And uh, we pray always for you. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Allahumma salli ala Sayyidina Muhammad wa ala alihi wa sahbihi wa sallam. Peace and love. Uh, hopefully we'll talk again.